This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. On August 20th, 2007, a 12-year-old girl was wandering the beach on Jedediah Island, 50 miles northwest of Vancouver. The sky was blue and the weather was fair. Her family had sailed up from Washington and was enjoying an afternoon on solid ground after a long time spent at sea. She was hunting for treasure, which mostly included seaweed, seashells, and the occasional sand dollar. But then something caught her eye up ahead. Unlike her current collection, they were man-made objects that washed ashore. Four adult sneakers. She quickly gathered them up and began arranging them in the sand. They were quite the find. But as she did, she noticed something odd about one of them. It wasn't empty. There was a sock in it. And the sock was heavy from more than just water. She pulled it out to examine further, and when she found what was inside, she screamed. It was the rotting remains of a human foot. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a podcast original. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unexplained Mysteries for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. At Parcast, we are grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. This is our first episode on a bizarre mystery. Over the last 13 years, a remarkable number of human feet have washed ashore in the Pacific Northwest, all the way from Vancouver Island to the suburbs of Seattle. This week, we'll discuss the history of these grisly discoveries, when and where the feet were found, who happened upon them, and what the investigators had to say. 
Next week, we'll try and make sense of how and why these disarticulated feet ended up in the ocean in the first place. As it turns out, there are almost as many theories as severed body parts. Possible explanations have claimed that they belong to the victims of plane crashes, to tsunamis, to mafia hits, to serial killers with a fetish for feet. On August 26, 2007, George Baugh and his wife, Michelle Garris, were hiking on a trail on Gabriola Island in British Columbia, Canada. As they made their way through overgrown ferns, Michelle pointed out something odd not far from the trail, a single Reebok sneaker tangled in the brush. They both had a feeling that there was something off about the shoe. George later recounted to Outside Magazine that he had noticed something white and sort of greasy-looking protruding from the sneaker. Though they had initially continued past it, their unease made them turn around and investigate further. Wanting to keep his distance, George poked the shoe with a stick. When it flipped over, they saw the decaying remains of a human foot were still inside. As you can imagine, the discovery raised a number of questions. Namely, who did the foot belong to, and why was it no longer attached to their body? They decided to call 911, but there was no cell service. What started as a simple walk through the woods was turning into the beginning of a strange horror film. It didn't help that the closest street was called Stalker Road. They considered approaching one of the nearby homes, but as they got closer, George reconsidered. They could be the killers. Michelle wasn't quite so paranoid. She made an offhanded remark about how ridiculous it would be if the neighbors were hacking people up and casually leaving them in gardens. But even she took some pause. If they were in a horror film, sarcastic comments like that would almost certainly mean that she'd be next. They decided it was best to return to town and call the police from there. While waiting for the Mounties to arrive, they came across a local newspaper article that told them they weren't alone. Only six days earlier, a 12-year-old girl had found a foot on a beach just 40 miles north of where George and Michelle were. It was morbid to think about, but they assumed that the two feet must have belonged to the same person, someone who suffered an unfortunate fate. But that wasn't the case at all. It couldn't be. They were both right feet. Meaning there wasn't just one severed body, there were two. Canadian authorities began working the case. Coroners were lucky enough to be able to pull viable DNA from the remains. It was a lead, but in order to find a match, the victim would have to be in the missing person's database, and it would take weeks, possibly even months, to get results back. In the meantime, officials were at a loss with what to do next. What could they do? The oceans didn't exactly have doors they could knock on. For all they knew, there was a reasonable explanation. The potential victims could have lived anywhere in the world. It might have been pure coincidence that they washed ashore in their backyard. But in just five months' time, it became clear that it was no coincidence. 
One foot is odd, two is worrisome, but three is a pattern. On February 2nd, 2008, another right foot was found inside of a size 11 Nike sneaker on the east side of Valdez Island. It was just a few miles from where George and Michelle had been hiking. A third foot, a third injured person. It marked a turning point for officials. On behalf of the Canadian Royal Mounted Police, Corporal Annie Lintu announced they would be limiting all future information regarding their investigation. This is standard practice in cases with considerable public interest. Withholding information ensured that they could easily and efficiently discern which leads were credible based on the information the tipster provided. It's especially common in murder investigations, though authorities made no comments to imply that murder was under consideration. Lintu said the police only hoped to preserve the integrity of the investigation. And with such a peculiar investigation on their hands, integrity and dignity were hard to come by. Given that there were no faces or names associated with the victims, it was easy for media outlets to emotionally distance themselves and capitalize on some maybe insensitive humor. Headlines were filled with puns like stumped, something's afoot, and one step at a time. And since authorities weren't providing any answers, locals were relegated to the facts that they had. So far, all of the feet had belonged to men, all of them were right feet, and they were all found in athletic sneakers. Some citizens started to believe there might be a deranged killer out there cutting off the feet of their victims, maybe with a penchant for male runners. But on May 22, 2008, a fourth foot disrupted the pattern. It was also a right foot, but it belonged to a woman. Housed inside a blue and white New Balance sneaker, it washed ashore on Kirkland Island, only 25 miles from Valdez Island, where the third had been found. But it wasn't the last deviation. On June 16, 2008, Mike and Sharon Bennett walked out onto their dock on Westham Island. They were taking their boat on the river to go fishing. By that point, the mystery of feet washing ashore was, at the very least, a regional cultural phenomenon. So when Sharon saw a shoe floating in the water by their boat, she made a joke to her husband saying, there's a sneaker for you. It was a Nike sneaker, and as Mike got closer, he noticed a blood stain on the shoe's tongue. That was all he needed to see before he called the police. It was the fifth disembodied human foot without an owner, and it was found less than a mile from the last. If three was a pattern, five was a conspiracy. Mike certainly believed something nefarious was happening. He told reporters, if somebody killed a bunch of guys and put their bodies in a container, and after a couple of years the container popped open, the shoes would be the only thing that came up. Luckily, authorities had their first breakthrough in July of 2008. When DNA results from the latest foot came back, they matched one that had already been found, meaning there may have been five feet, but there were only four victims, three men, one woman. 
In an effort to quell public worry, they also made a statement that they did not suspect any foul play. But it didn't help. In fact, the statement only fueled the flames of conspiracies further. Locals began to suspect that officials may be involved in a cover-up. Maybe the police knew there was a killer who mutilated his victims. Maybe they weren't releasing any information because whoever it was was still on the loose. Coming up, something much less human arrives at a campground in British Columbia. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Now back to the story. Five severed feet washed ashore in the Pacific Northwest between August 2007 and May 2008. And the following summer, nobody had an explanation why, not even the authorities. Forensic evidence couldn't link the feet with the DNA of any missing persons, and the peculiar and terrifying ordeal was nowhere close to being over. On June 18, 2008, a distraught woman walked into the office of Thunderbird RV Park in British Columbia. She told the park manager to call the police. The woman found a black Adidas sneaker with leg bones sticking out of it in the campground. The bones were three to four inches long and appeared to have been picked bare. There was no tissue. From what she could see, the bones had been cut clean across. But it was hard to tell. Seaweed was covering a good portion. After the police arrived, they bagged the shoe and sent it to the coroner's office as evidence. Once again, they weren't able to find a DNA match. But this time, it wasn't because the DNA wasn't in the missing person database. It was because it wasn't human. The black shoe ended up containing a skeletonized animal paw wrapped in seaweed, it was likely left behind as a joke. But the British Columbia Coroner's Service was not amused. In response, they issued a statement, this type of hoax is reprehensible and disrespectful to the families of missing persons. It fuels inappropriate speculation and creates undue anxiety. But for some, the practical joke was a moment of clarity. Richard Thompson, an oceanographer with the Institute of Ocean Sciences on Vancouver Island, suggested that maybe the whole thing was a giant hoax. Someone who had access to cadavers and running shoes and had too much time on their hands. Maybe it was someone who simply wanted to grab headlines. If that was the case, it was working. On July 10, 2008, 
Canadian authorities held a press conference. They revealed a map detailing where each foot was found. Pinned to each location was a photograph of the respective shoe. Spokeswoman Annie Lintu noted that DNA tests had been carried out on all of the remains. The results were cross-referenced with 243 possible male matches in the missing persons database, but none of them produced definitive hits. The Canadian authorities stressed how hard they were working behind the scenes. They had enlisted multiple experts, including oceanographers, forensic anthropologists, and a forensic pathologist. Authorities hoped that by releasing a bit more information to the public, new workable leads might come in. Maybe someone out there knew of a missing person who once owned a similar sneaker. But first and foremost, the press conference was held to reassure the public. Lintu addressed the room. We want to make it clear, there is no evidence that these feet had been severed. There were no tool markings and no visible signs of trauma. It appears that these feet have naturally disarticulated from the bodies. Lintu also explained that it was difficult to know how long the feet had been in water. Water temperature can play a role in decomposition, and it was impossible to know if any creatures may have fed on some of the flesh, affecting the tissue. In addition, she mentioned that the rubber-soled sneakers provided a unique environment that could both preserve the feet and allow them to float great distances. Unfortunately, the story had gotten big enough that outside experts began weighing in. Noted forensic pathologist Dr. Greg Davis didn't buy the investigator's theory that the feet could have naturally disarticulated. He told ABC News, I don't think this is an artifact of decomposition. I have never heard of feet just popping off. He added that even if a sea creature had eaten a significant portion of the flesh, the bones of the legs and feet would remain conjoined. Dr. Davis also couldn't understand the lack of bodies. If any were in the ocean, he claimed that gases would have caused them to float to the surface as well. Susan Allen, a University of British Columbia professor who studied tides and currents in the Strait of Georgia, also joined the conversation. Susan told CTV News, if these shoes are floating and the surface currents tend to exit, not enter the Strait of Georgia, it's unlikely these shoes come from any great distance. Meaning the shoes and their owners had to have been local. But if that was the case, who were they? And why did nobody seem to care that they were missing? On July 19, 2008, almost a year after the first foot was found, answers finally started to emerge. As investigators hoped, someone recognized one of the shoes from the press conference as possibly belonging to a man that had gone missing and DNA evidence then confirmed it was a match. The original missing persons report stated that the man was suffering from severe emotional distress. Police therefore assumed that he had most likely died of suicide. Out of respect for the family, his identity was never shared with the public. It wasn't enough to close an investigation, but it was progress. And though they couldn't be sure, it appeared to support their theory that there was no foul play involved. 
But the success of the investigation seemed to ebb and flow as quickly as the tides. On August 1st, 2008, not two weeks after a positive identification, a sixth human foot washed ashore, this time in America. Like foot one through five, it was found in an athletic sneaker. The beach was just south of the Canadian border in Washington, 12 miles from Vancouver Island, just far enough into America to get United States law enforcement involved. As with those who worked the case before them, American officials admitted that they had no idea who the foot belonged to or what the cause of death was. They were just as baffled as anyone else, but they insisted there was no evidence to suggest murder. The sixth foot was the first to wash up somewhere besides the coast of British Columbia, but it didn't help further the investigation. It was just another puzzle piece that didn't fit together with the rest. Then, on November 11, 2008, another piece washed ashore. Canadian Diane Johnston was out walking her dogs in the suburb of Richmond in British Columbia when she noticed a New Balance sneaker on top of a rock. It was sitting on the edge of a riverbank. It looked like it had been neatly placed there by the most recent tide. By this point, Diane almost knew what to expect. She had seen the news stories. She didn't even need to get close. She called her husband, who called the cops. It was indeed the seventh foot, but its DNA matched the other one found earlier on Kirkland Island. In total, that made five victims, but only one of them had been identified. And then, after August, everything seemed to just stop. Stories about the bizarre incidents lived on, especially online. With so many loose ends, it was perfect material for conspiracy theorists. But for most of the world, the mysterious case of the disarticulated feet was forgotten. Until a year later, when the whole thing started again. Coming up, possible connections between the disarticulated feet and a Vancouver mob war. Now, back to the story. In just over a year, seven disarticulated human feet washed ashore in the Pacific Northwest. They were all found in athletic sneakers. DNA evidence suggested that they belonged to five individuals, three men and two women of whom only one had been positively identified as a man who had gone missing. According to family and officials, his most likely cause of death was suicide. But by September 2009, everything seemed to quiet down. It had been almost a year since a new foot had been found. For officials working the case, it was some much-needed respite from the national media outlets covering the bizarre phenomenon. Some even began to think that maybe it was over. Little did they know, it was still the beginning. On October 27, 2009, two men were walking along a beach in Richmond, British Columbia, when they noticed a lone white Nike sneaker on the shore. It was a size eight and a half. 
Inside was an eighth disarticulated human foot. The men called the police, who had everything sent to the lab. It was a familiar routine. But then, something happened they weren't expecting. The DNA from the foot found an immediate match in the missing persons database. A 25-year-old male who had been declared missing in January 2008. Once again, the cause of death was suspected to be suicide, but locals weren't convinced. The man had gone missing five months after the first foot was found, meaning the victims couldn't all share the same time of death. The answer to this mystery couldn't be as simple as the police suggested, that the feet belonged to missing people who died in accidents or by suicide. Accidental deaths and suicides had been happening along the shores of Vancouver Island long before 2007. Why were we just seeing the repercussions? Moreover, why weren't people finding feet on beaches all over the world? One could make the case that advances in sneaker technology were now making them float. But that theory, too, would come to an end on August 27, 2010. The ninth human foot washed ashore on Whidbey Island in Washington State's Puget Sound. This time, it wasn't in a sneaker or a sock. It was found by a tourist. Judging by its size, it belonged to either a woman or a child. But because it was bare, police were able to roughly calculate how long it had been in the water. They estimated about two months. If three was a pattern and five was a conspiracy, what was nine or ten or eleven? How about twenty-one? The tenth foot was discovered on December 10, 2010, in Tacoma, Washington. It was found inside of an Ozark Trail brand hiking boot. Tacoma Police spokesman Mark Fulgham updated reporters on the police's information. His best guess was that it belonged to someone in their mid to late teens. There was no DNA match. The 11th foot was found in a size 9 running sneaker on August 30th, 2011. This time in False Creek, just outside of downtown Vancouver. But it was particularly unique in that it was more than just a foot. The skeletal remains were intact all the way up to the knee. On November 4, 2011, there was another unexplainable first. The 12th human foot was discovered not by the Pacific Ocean or one of its tributaries. It was found on a lake. Sassamat Lake in Port Moody, British Columbia, to be exact, about 30 miles from Vancouver Island. It was found in a black size 12 Cougar brand boot. No bodies were found in the lake. And no other foot. This time, officials couldn't suggest that it was brought ashore by a current or the tides. The 13th human foot arrived on December 10, 2011. It, too, was found in a lake, this time Lake Union near Seattle. It had no sneaker. In fact, it was just a leg and a foot bone, and it was found in a plastic bag under a bridge that went over the lake. A month later, in January, a 14th foot was found. A Vancouver citizen discovered it inside a boot at a dog park near the Vancouver Maritime Museum. 
It was sitting on the waterline of the bay, which connected to the Pacific. It would be almost three years before the 15th foot appeared. Volunteers were picking up trash in Centennial Park in Seattle's Interbay District. They found it in a men's 10.5 New Balance athletic sneaker along Elliott Bay in May 2014. Two more years passed before the 16th foot. In 2016, a man picking through driftwood on Botanical Beach near Port Renfrew on Vancouver Island found another running sneaker with a human foot in it. Five days later, someone found a matching sneaker. Inside was a matching foot, the 17th. December 8, 2017, on Vancouver Island. A shoe with a human leg bone protruding out of it became 18. May 6, 2018, on Gabriola Island, where the second foot appeared in 2007. That made 19. September of 2018, West Vancouver Beach, size 9.5 sneaker, 20. The last foot washed up on New Year's Day 2019 on Jetty Island in Everett, Washington. An absolutely astonishing 21 disarticulated human feet have been found in a singular region of North America. And officials in Canada and the United States are still at a loss. Andy Watson, a spokesperson for the British Columbia Coroner's Service, said, Typically, our process would be that we would work with any of the available information that we would find at a scene to help determine the identity. But in this case, we've exhausted all options. Each new discovery suffered from the same problems as the last. There wasn't enough evidence. And there weren't any clear patterns. Just when they thought they were beginning to see one, it would change. Through it all, most experts have suggested that each foot separated from its body naturally. Police have used that claim to rule out any kind of foul play. But they still have no answers as to how the bodies ended up in the water in the first place, nor where each one originated. Authorities in Washington theorized that maybe the shoes floated in from the Puyallup River, 60 miles from the south, or the Puget Sound, 30 miles to the north. But there is no way to prove that either is true. To some, the suggestion of 30 miles away was awfully convenient. It was the equivalent of saying that it wasn't in their jurisdiction, that it was someone else's problem. It also didn't take into consideration the feet that were found in lakes or bays. But to some extent, it's understandable that officials started to look at each foot as its own case. Because if you try to look at them together, as a whole, nothing really adds up. Of the 21 found, some were women, some were men. Approximate ages varied wildly. Most were in athletic sneakers, but not all. Some weren't even found in shoes. Some had come apart at the ankle, others at the knee. And the list goes on. But perhaps the strangest thing of all is that despite the fact that we've been referring to these people as victims, without a body, we have no way of knowing that they're dead. Losing a foot is not always fatal. And as much as we can assume that these feet belong to the dead, 
we can't be certain. The sheer volume of evidence for this case suggests that it can't be pure coincidence. And to this day, there are people desperately searching for an explanation, including the investigators. In the 13 years since the first foot was found, they have been able to match 10 of the feet to known missing persons. Still, to date, no definitive answer has been given to how these people disappeared. But that hasn't stopped the public from guessing. In December 2010, Canadian Shane Lambert wrote into the Vancouver Sun with his own theory. He believed some of the feet belonged to missing victims of the Asian tsunami from 2004. A second popular theory has centered around a plane crash off Quadra Island in 2005. Quadra is a small island in between Vancouver Island and British Columbia. The location certainly makes sense, and there had been five men aboard and only one of their bodies was recovered. But others believe the feet are evidence of an escalating mob war in the Vancouver area. The victims were killed and tossed in the ocean to dispose of their bodies. And of course, there are many who believe that it's all the work of a serial killer, one that may still be on the loose. Residents of the Pacific Northwest may have reason to be paranoid. The region has a terrifying history of ruthless murderers. One of the vilest figures in Canadian history, Robert Picton, killed up to 49 women at his pig farm just outside Vancouver. Serial killer Gilbert Paul Jordan, known as the Boozing Barber, killed at least seven in the same area. Over the last 50 years, the sheer volume of murders that have taken place between Prince George and Prince Rupert, British Columbia, is overwhelming. So much so that locals refer to it as the Highway of Tears. And just south of the border is the American Pacific Northwest the region that has produced more serial killers than any other in the country. The Wanted Killer, the Boxcar Killer, the Green River Killer, and of course, Ted Bundy. Which makes you wonder if there's something in the water there, something other than human feet. It's been a little more than a year since the most recent foot washed ashore, but there's no reason to believe this mystery is over. Maybe there will never be an answer. Or maybe we'll crack the case next week. Only the tides will tell. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We'll be back next Thursday with part two on the mystery of human feet washing up onto Pacific Northwest beaches. For more information, amongst the many sources we used, we found contemporary articles from Outside Magazine, Vox, and CTV News extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Unexplained Mysteries, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. 
To stream Unexplained Mysteries on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. We'll see you next time. See you next Thursday. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Mike Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Matthew Garland, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Thank you.